Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for the Memorial Baptist Podcast. Just wanted to give you a quick um, disclaimer at the beginning of this episode and let you know that uh, unfortunately we had some technical difficulties uh, and weren't able to get the very beginning of Ridge's sermon. So um, what we have is um, the rest of his sermon just kind of after he already began his first point. We just wanted to give you a heads up just so you knew what was going on uh, so that you're not confused when you're listening to it. So without further ado, here is the rest of Ridge's sermon. Um, and uh, we hope that you're blessed by it. You know, as we read this passage, Jesus is virtually declaring that the Messiah has come in search of the lost sheep of Israel. He's what he's saying. The Messiah has come in search of the lost sheep of Israel according to prophecy. According to prophecy. Now, look at verse 5 and 6. It says, These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter into any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. See, the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom, the Lord Jesus says, must first be brought to Israel. It must first be brought to Israel. It's not primarily to the Samaritans. It's not primarily to the Gentiles that these disciples are being sent. First and foremost, they are being sent to Israel. Why? Because we read in the Old Testament. We read in the Old Testament that um, the Messiah came for the sake of establishing the remnant of Israel in righteousness. We need to read our Old Testament, folks, because the promises of God have been given in the Old Testament to Abraham and to his descendants. And you remember the children of Israel, they they were sent, uh, they had strayed away from God and they were sent into exile. They were sent into exile and, and during their misery, God, through the prophets, promised them that one day he would send Messiah, he would send Messiah to them who would call them back to God and who would reunite them in faith and in fellowship with the living God. This is prophecy that that Jesus is fulfilling here. So by sending his disciples out to the the, the people of, of Judea, the Jewish people, he is fulfilling the promises of God in the Old Testament to Israel. It is one way he is fulfilling that promise. The word of God stands forever. Do you realize how long it's been since God promised through the prophets that he would send Messiah? And now we see this prophecy coming true here. Now, it will not be all of Israel who respond to the disciples as they preach the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus is aware of that. That's why later in our passage, he makes it clear that there are going to be some who reject the gospel. There are going to be some who reject the message, but there's also going to be some who accept the message. But it will be to those lost sheep of the house of Israel that these disciples are being sent out to. There's a couple of very good reasons why Jesus' ministry would have been done this way. One of them is theological, and the other one is very practical. When you think about the theological reason is because God had made his covenant of grace and his promises to Abraham and the descendants of Abraham. 
And, and Jesus sends his disciples to Israel because of the special place that Israel has in God's plan. You see, he loves them. There's a, there's a love and concern that Jesus has for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You remember how Paul said in Romans 11, verse 28, he says this. He says, from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. <laughs> They're beloved. God loves the people of Israel. He loves them because of the, the sake of the fathers, because of the covenant that God has made with Abraham. And so because of that special role that Israel has, Jesus is sending his disciples out first to the Jews. He sends them out first to them. But there's a practical reason as well. You remember, there were some godly folks, many godly people in Israel who were waiting for Messiah to come. They knew the scriptures and they were praying and waiting for God to send Messiah. You remember Simeon and Anna, two examples of some godly Jewish folks who took God at his word. They believed the Old Testament and they were waiting for Messiah to come. I mean, what better place to, to build a core group of followers of Jesus, the Messiah, than among those who know the scripture and know that Messiah is coming, that they could, they could build that, that core group of, of those who already embraced scripture and the promises that Messiah was coming. And so Jesus sends out his disciples first to the Jewish people. And he sends them out, and as he sends them out, he says this, he says, you are to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so the Lord Jesus is telling us also in that, that he's the good shepherd. <laughs> that he is the good shepherd. You remember in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11 and 12, it says this, it says, say to them, excuse me, verse 34, 11 and 12, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I mean, God says that the shepherds of Israel have failed, so I'm going to come and be their shepherd. I myself will come and shepherd Israel. And Jesus, by implication, is saying, I am the good shepherd. Go look for the sheep. Go search for them. The Messiah has come. The Lord himself has come to seek and to find the lost sheep of the house of Israel, according to the prophecy of the Old Testament. You also remember in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul, he says that the message of the gospel of salvation is to the, the Jew first, but also to the Greek. And so he begins by evangelizing the remnant of Israel, and he branches out to the Gentiles around him, and Jesus' ministry also proceeded along these same lines. I'm giving you all this background so that we can bring it up here today, okay? Understand that Christian ministry 
has always reached out both to the Jew and to the Greek, to the Jew and to the Gentile, both of those uh, who are the, that come from the physical stock of Abraham and those who don't, the Jew and the Gentile. And so sometimes as we're witnessing, as we're sharing Christ, someone might say something like this, by the way, when you do that, you know, people may accuse you of, of anti-Semitism. You know, how could you possibly present the gospel to those who are of the Jewish race? That seems anti-Semitic. But notice, it's a Jew, Jesus of Nazareth, who is sharing the gospel to the Jewish people. See, it would be anti-Semitic for us not to go to Israel. It would be anti-Semitic for us not to share with Jewish people. And the apostles are the one who first take the gospel to the Jew as well as to the Gentile. But understand this, this is my point, is that Jesus Christ is the only savior of humanity. Jesus Christ is the only savior of humanity and so he must be preached to everyone universally. Across this whole world, everyone needs to hear about Jesus Christ. It is the greatest act of love that we could possibly do because we want all people, all humanity, to be united in faith with their creator, God. And the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. See, I think this is huge because in this passage, he's sending them out Notice, by the way, that the Messiah comes looking for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. <laughs> you know what? We don't like to be thought of as sheep. Oh, yeah, we don't like to be thought of as sheep. I mean, you know, we, we're just not following, you know, the shepherd and going along. We don't want to be connected with that because we want to we do our own thing. <laughs> we don't want to be thought of as sheep. But like sheep, we are confused by our ignorance and by our sins. Isaiah 53, verse 6, says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. It doesn't say most, it doesn't say some, it doesn't say a few, it says, All, like sheep, have gone astray. We are all sinners. Romans 3.23 tells us that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not some, not many, all. That includes you and that includes me. We are all sinners in that. We're wandering aimlessly, helplessly, and it's precisely us that are helpless and in this helpless state that Jesus comes to. Man, I am so glad that the Lord is my shepherd. Somebody say that again. Amen. amen. If you're glad that the Lord is your shepherd, you say amen. amen. I mean, I am so thankful that he reached down and touched my life, that he came looking for me. I'm so glad that he put that offer on the table and that I accepted that offer. 
We need to accept his offer of salvation, of the forgiveness of our sins. And sometimes that we think we need to fix ourselves up before Jesus can come and do us any good. And Jesus came to those who are lost. Those who don't even know. In their ignorance, in their sin, there is nothing we can do to prepare ourselves. He has come for us in all of our lostness. In all of our addictions, in all of the stuff that weighs us down, in all of the things that the devil has lied to us about, in all of the things and the chains that he has put on us, he has lied to us over and over again, and Jesus comes to us in that. You know, Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Even when we didn't even know we needed him. Moving on, look at verse 7. It says, and as you go, go to the lost house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received freely give. (laughs) We see here that the disciples were sent out to preach. They were sent out to preach. We also see the power that Christ entrusted to them as they made that proclamation. These ministers of the Messiah, they were to go out and they were to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And Jesus gives the essence of that message as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When something is at hand, it means it's close by. It means it's right here, it's right now. It's close by. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, the Messiah is here to establish God's reign in the hearts and lives of his people. Folks, that is glorious news. That's the glorious news of the gospel, that God has come to us to save us. And the kingdom of the Messiah, who is the Lord of heaven, is now set up according to his word, according to scripture. And by the way, I want you to notice the difference in in what he says here. As you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, you compare that message to the message Jonah had. You remember Jonah? He went to Nineveh reluctantly. And basically he said, repent or be destroyed. Turn or burn. The message that Jesus brings is different. It's positive. There's a different approach here. He says salvation is near. Don't be ruined by rejecting that salvation. Don't be ruined by rejecting the salvation that I am offering See, the positivity of the message of salvation preached by the disciples is apparent. This is the same message that was preached by John the Baptist and by Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. He's now giving this same message to his disciples to preach. You know, truth, good truth, ought to always be repeated in our preaching because we need to be reminded of the things that we've already learned. (laughs) I love this. 
So the, the apostles go out preaching that message. You know, it's kind of like that hymn, I love to tell the story. It will be my theme in glory <laughs> to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. We need to hear it time and time again. They were sent out confirming, verifying the message that they were giving with miracles of good works. I mean, there's a list there. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you receive, freely give. (laughs) You know, in Ezekiel 36, the prophet tells us that when the new covenant comes, when Messiah comes, God is going to bring a new heart and a new spirit to us. Ezekiel 36 And one of the things that's going to occur when we receive the message of the kingdom is that we are going to repent. That we are going to repent. The message of the gospel always brings joy and repentance. Those two go together as we truly realize our own unworthiness. We're filled with joy because of the provision of God's grace in Jesus Christ as he hung there and died on the cross for us. Because we don't deserve that. It's joy and repentance. I pray that we would return to the joy of our salvation so that we would understand what it means to be free from the things that we have been freed from. And that with that would come a great repentance for not sharing the gospel. We live in a country where we have the freedom to speak. We have the freedom. I don't care about cancel culture. What I'm talking about is you have the freedom to share the gospel with those around you. It is not yet against the law. But don't take that for granted. It may be someday. Notice also in verse 8 how Jesus explicitly expresses that his, to his disciples that they have been given his power freely. They haven't paid for it. They haven't earned it. He has given it to them freely. They've been equipped with it by Christ himself. And so they are also to freely give it to others. They're not to take advantage of the power in order to build themselves up. They're not to take advantage to make a profit off of the power. (laughs) I mean, that would be very tempting. If you had the power to raise the dead, you could make a profit very quickly off of that kind of power. And Jesus says, you freely receive that power, freely give it. But listen, the ministry of the gospel is not to get, it's to give, it's to give. And that's what Jesus is telling them, the proper response to Jesus's instructions, to his coming to us in the flesh and to preaching of his kingdom is a life of giving. When we consider Christ's freeness, I don't even know if that's a word, but I think it is, freeness. 
When we consider Christ's freeness in doing good to us, that should also free us to doing good for others. His freedom is our freedom. The disciples were to go out and not to get, but to give the hope of salvation. They were not to find out and go make great names for themselves or improve their own condition, but freely offer the gospel to the remnant of Israel. Folks, shouldn't that be our posture too? To be ready and willing to give freely so that others can hear the gospel? See, Christ calls us to the spirit of giving, not of gaining for ourselves. I gotta move on, verse nine. Verse nine says, do not acquire gold or silver, copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or staff for the, for the worker is worthy of his support. <laughs> see, we see that the disciples here must learn to trust in him in their mission. To trust in him in their mission. I mean, they're not to spend time preparing for this mission. They're not to pack a bag or get their suitcase ready or, or figure out what they're gonna eat on the way or, or, or even bring two coats or sandals or even, you know, a, a walking stick, a staff. Either because of the shortness of this mission or maybe because of the urgency of this mission that he's sending them out. He says this, he says, don't take time, don't burden yourself with trying to collect these things. I can hear it now. Well, I don't have my favorite pillow. I gotta have my raincoat with me. It's in the Middle East, Ridge, it's probably not gonna rain, okay? What we need is to go and be ready to go. But he's saying, don't take time, don't burden yourself trying to collect all these things. Simply trust that the Lord will provide for you on this mission. Travel light, which forces them to trust in God's provision, to allow them to rely upon God to provide what is needed. See, they learn a great lesson about the urgency also of the mission. It's so important that they go, that they are sent out, that they cannot take the time to be concerned with their own provisions, what they need. Folks, we must never, we must never allow the urgency of the gospel to be lost on us. When he says go, we need to go. When he says say this, be there, do this, we need to do that. And stop worrying about all of our stuff. See, the kingdom of God is at hand because we really don't know when we will speak to someone for the last time on this earth. We don't know. The kingdom of God is at hand. So are we being a good witness for Christ? I mean, he's made us his witnesses. That's what we are. It's not a question of whether we are witnesses or not. The question is whether we are a good witness or a bad witness for Christ. Because he has made us witnesses. 
And how will we witness to the urgency of the gospel itself? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, this passage teaches us about trusting in Christ's provision. We have to wait on him. It is, it is his work, his way. And that's very important to us, especially for those of us who have a lot. The more we have, the more important it is to trust in Christ's provision in ministry. The more the Lord has given you, the more tempting it is to trust in what he has given you as to that which is necessary for ministry, even as a church. Think about this. The more he has given us as a church, the more tempting it is for us to say, well, we have all the resources we need. All we need to do is a little planning. But you see, Christ's ministry is only carried out only in his power. We need to hear this. The more we have, the more we need to be intentionally trusting in his provision for this ministry because it matters very little what we bring to the table. What matters is what Christ brings to the table. He empowers, he empowers his disciples to do the ministry. Our resources don't amount to much in the work of the kingdom. But his resources mean everything. And we must learn to trust in him, just like those disciples that he sent out here in this passage. You know, as I wrap this up, I know you're probably thinking, man, hang with me. I'm almost done. You know, in verse five and six, he told his disciples the people that they were to go to. In verse seven and eight, he told them the message that they were to proclaim and he gave them the power to go along with confirming that message. And in verse nine and 10, he told them to trust in the the providence, the provision of God. And now in verses 11 through 15, he gives them the procedures that they are to follow. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. And as you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. It's not what I don't understand about the Bible that bothers me. It's what I do understand. You see, the message that the disciples, that he makes clear to them is they are going to take to Israel the message that is of eternal significance. The disciples are called upon to display an extraordinary balance of generosity, but also discernment. They're to pronounce the peace of God upon those who receive them into their homes. But they're also to be discerning in that because those who reject their message are to be rejected. In fact, he tells them, shake the dust off your shoes. That's an ancient symbol from from Israel. 
You know, when a person was outside the land of Israel, one was on Gentile, Gentile territory, pagan land, if you will. And when you came back, you came back into Israel, you shook the dust off your feet so that you didn't bring any of that pagan land back into the holy land. And Jesus is saying, if someone rejects the message of the kingdom, you shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them that you're not going to bring that pagan soil back into the land, back into the holy land. See, we must recognize the weightiness of the message that Christ entrusted to his disciples. The gospel message divides the world. There are those who accept it and those who reject it. And there is no middle ground. The acceptance or rejection of the gospel means either heaven or hell. It's a weighty decision. And the apostles were to remember that as they went out. It's, it's one or the other. It can't be in the middle. You either accept the, the offer or you reject the offer, but understand that to not decide on the offer is to reject the offer. So no decision is a rejection. If somebody came to me and they wanted to make an offer on my house, and I just let it sit there and sit there and sit there, they would think he's rejected that offer because I've not acted on it. But in order for the offer to be good, I have to receive it. I have to accept the offer. And it's no different in this case. We have to accept Christ's offer to pay our sin debt. The debts that we owe for the sinners that we are. He offers to pay it through his own blood. And we either accept or we refuse that offer. See, we must also remember that Judea, the Judea of the disciples, they had never, ever heard the gospel like we have the pleasure and privilege of hearing the gospel. If Judea in Jesus' time was more responsible because they heard what the disciples said, the message that the disciples gave, whereas Sodom and Gomorrah had never had that privilege, how much more responsible are we who have feasted under the gospel, most of us all the days of our lives, in churches where the word has been read and preached and where the story has been told, how much more responsible are we? The lost sheep of the house of Israel had never heard before. Folks, we are guilty. We are guilty. And the only possible response, the only good response to the gospel is that we would embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ 
that we would embrace the kingdom, that we would put our faith and our trust in him and rest in him as the provision for our sins and as our only savior and by grace find in him the blessings and the promises of almighty God whose word stands forever. If I didn't believe this with all my heart, I would not be up here doing this today. But understand, to not accept the offer of salvation is to reject it. I can't make it any plainer. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, you know exactly where each of us are. It is your words, it is your words that, that, that you gave to those to write them down that we have this today. Father, your word is true. After all these centuries go by, Father, it is still applicable and applicable today as it ever has been for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is nearby. And Father, you give us, you give us free will, the, the will to choose or not to choose, to be obedient to you, to do the things that we need to do. Father, your offer is there for us. We just must accept it. Father, I pray that you would quicken our hearts. Father, that the urgency of the hour would not be lost on us. But Father, that you would take us from where we are to where you want us to be. Father, your word says to dust, to shake the dust off your shoes. And Father, on that day when we stand before you, Every message that we've heard, every gospel presentation that we've heard, every time that we've heard about Jesus and his death, Father, is going to be evidence mounted against us for not accepting your offer. Father, I pray that everyone who can hear my voice would respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much for the message preached. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who gave his life for us. And Father, I pray that you would continue to draw sinners to yourself. We thank you for drawing us. We thank you for reaching out, pulling us out of that slimy pit and setting our feet on the rock. But Father, I pray that that would be true of every person that hears the gospel today. We love you, we praise you. Guide us as we respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.